0: today we're going to be talking to you about the reintroduction of the eurasian lynx to the uk or rather the potential reintroduction what is a lynx so a lynx is any member of four different species of animals all in the genus lynx Uh, and the one we have in europe and the one that we used to have in the uk before we drove it to extinction was the eurasian lynx which is Lynx, Lynx is its Latin name, which is really, yeah, it's really imaginative. Um, It's the largest of the four Lynx species, and it's the most wide-ranging. So it's found, or it used to be found, from Britain all the way across Europe into Russia and parts of Northern Asia, all the way to the Russian Far East uh, and places like Kamchatka, which just sounds amazing. Um, No, its it's
1: range is so impressive, I think. When you look at, there's some impressive graphics and kind of maps that show Its range, where it actually is, and then a kind of a suspected range as well. Um, Yeah, it's really, really impressive how far it how far it stretches.
0: And I suspect, I think behind only the puma and the domestic cat, it might have the largest range of any cat species. I think. I think it beats the leopard actually on this.
1: I mean, it is very extent. Like you say, it kind of extends all the way across um most of eurasia into russia um and then i think there was one interesting kind of study looking saying that how there's some association between if there's a low human population density then that's positively correlated to a high lynx density um, yeah
0: i mean unlike unlike the leopard which you know we are seeing can survive in quite densely populated human areas the lynx is a real kind of a wilderness cat um so it's not as big as like as as the big cats you would imagine, like a puma or a leopard. Certainly not a tiger. So in terms of size, it's between um, eighty to one hundred and thirty centimeters long, and about seventy-five centimeters at the shoulder. So it's a bit bigger than a Labrador, but still smaller than like what are those big dogs? A Great Dane.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess if you saw one, it, it could maybe be mistaken kind of dog size. Um... But yeah, obviously, like you're saying, nothing like jaguar or puma or to that kind of massive big cat. Yeah. And yeah. they've got these amazing sort of pointy ears as well, um, which are fantastic.
0: And one, one, one species, the Iberian lynx, which is found in Spain and bits of Portugal, has got these fantastic kind of manes coming off its chin. It looks like it's got these great kind of, well, it's like a beard, a moustache almost, coming down of its chin. It looks a bit like a pirate. I love it. It's one That's of my favourite cats. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, the reason we lost the lynx in the UK is quite interesting um, because it doesn't seem to be a purely hunting, uh, you know, a purely anthropogenic hunting cause of extinction as we see with stuff like the oryx or the moose. Um, So there is a cave in Yorkshire called Kinsey Cave, uh, which has the last fossil Lynx remains in the UK which put them about the 5th and the 6th century AD. So, you know, later than the Romans, we still had this cat for quite a while and it survived the ice age megafauna extinctions. It survived long after all that went. Um and so there is a theory that this extinction is probably due to um political conflict at the time. There was a lot of warfare in the UK. There was lots of waves of immigration. Um, and obviously that comes with a massive expansion of agriculture. So that just reduces the habitat massively.
1: It's interesting with Yorkshire, it tends to be a theme with all these um yeah. expe- <laughs> species that were lost and then the last kind of tantalizing glimpse of one is up in Yorkshire. Yeah. Um, so yeah. woo, go Yorkshire. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we go to university in Yorkshire, so we might be slightly biased. <laughs> um, so yeah, what, what do you want to tell us a bit more about like the Lynx's Dietary biology, because obviously this has a big impact in why there is a bit of a controversy between the reintroduction of this animal.
1: Yeah, so sort of lynx have quite um they'll take a variety of different species, but in Europe kind of they'll mainly take deer, it's particularly roe deer. Um and they can take things like hares, rabbits, marmots, squirrels, birds, foxes, mustelids. So they can take quite a lot of species. But I think sort of a main concern for the UK is whether this crosses over into livestock um, because this has been a big concern of links that might end up taking sheep or lambs. And then obviously in Scotland, you've got the big deer populations, which in our minds is, and conservationist minds <laughs> who wants to bring them back, is possibly a good thing in terms of controlling numbers. Um but yeah, there is some some conflict there with with livestock.
0: Absolutely, and I think in Europe at least, the fact that roe make up, roe deer make up almost seventy percent of its diet is actually really interesting because it clearly shows, and we know this from you know satellite tagging and observation in the world, But this is a forest animal; it's a forest cat. It lives in quite dense, densely wooded areas. You know, rugged terrain, temperate woodlands across Eurasia. So. If you, if you did the reintroduction right, there probably wouldn't be a massive overlap in sheep agricultural pasture. So it, re- it must be recognised that, unlike with stuff strictly vegetarian species like the beaver, it must be recognised that there is a potential for conflict between lynx and livestock. Um, so in Scandinavia, each lynx takes about 15 sheep per year. And in Slovakia, each lynx takes about, I think, four is the average per animal okay. per year. So there is, it, it, we have to accept there is a significant loss to farmers here. And so we need the solutions to mitigate this.
1: Because I think there was as well, it was a um, brilliant name for a lynx. It was a lynx called Lilith, um, which <laughs> was in escaped from a wildlife park in Wales. This was back in October 2017. Um and this kind of really shows how divisive this topic could be and sort of how much rage was unleashed as a result of this lynx called Lilith that escaped. Um, and it was within sort of the first 24 hours that she was released or the first few days that you had farmers reporting the killings of seven sheep. Um, and immediately it was pinpointed to this escaped lynx. So I think that was... A little bit of a setback in some regards for moving forwards with Lynx reintroduction because it just showed that if you have Lynx, you are going to have farmers. Any death of livestock can then be attributed to this this wild cat. Um, so what I found interesting about that was they were saying it's important to have sort of trained staff that could then go out and identify: is this a Lynx kill? Is it dogs? Mm-hmm. Um, and so have trained professionals kind of reassuring farmers yes this was a lynx this is part of the the four or whatever it is that they take per year or per was that per year that they take
0: yeah well four four sheep per lynx per year
1: per lynx yeah
0: yeah so you know that it's important to get it's important to, to understand that they do take sheep in in countries where they they do successfully live um and so obviously up until this point you might be thinking well why do we need the lynx back because maybe they're just sheep menaces. They're not compared to the. I mean, compared to other large carnivores like wolves and bears, lynx are so much more palatable for reintroduction. There has never been a recorded incidence of a lynx attacking or killing a, a human unprovoked, and their sheep predation is minimal compared to wolves. So, why don't we explain why? Links are a good thing to have in this ecosystem, and why we need them back.
1: Yeah, so I'll, maybe I'll start with deer, kind of the deer aspect, which we which we go touched upon. Um, so at the moment, deer numbers in the UK are kind of at the highest level that they've been in around a thousand years. Um, and if you have large numbers of deer that are grazing on landscapes, you can see the effects if you go somewhere like. Scotland or Mull or things like that where you've got intense grazing pressure you've got um, I mean or if we could link this even to Yellowstone so you see what happens this isn't deer that was more like elk and moose and things like that but where you've got intense grazing pressures that starts to affect um The tree biodiversity, and then if you don't have the trees that are holding the roots holding together the soil, then you get soil erosion, you get degradation of rivers. so it's these massive kind of knock on effects um and if you had something like the lynx, which you you mentioned Roby, it's quite kind of solitary it lives in or forests or things like that. it's unlikely to target its attacks towards humans. You could have these sort of deer managing amazing cats um which could um yeah predate on the deer numbers and then you wouldn't necessarily have as much need for deer culling and things like that if you had the links as a means to do that yeah Um, i
0: mean one report i stumbled across uh the county of sutherland in one year spent 4.7 million pounds on deer management and that's not just culling that's also you know um, reimbursements to farmers when the deer have come in and, and decimated their crops. It's stuff like repairing hedgerows when the deer have just come along like a lawnmower and gone bzzz. And you might not think that the introduction of, you know, a couple hundred lynx would be able to control these massive amounts of deer. Um, but it's, it's not just predation that lynx have an effect on deer. What they do is they create something called an ecology of fear, which means that As they do now, deer have no natural predators, so they can stay in one spot and just graze all day. And they take everything down, young trees, saplings, wildflowers, emerging meadow habitats, everything is just mown down to the ground. But with a predator in the environment, even if they don't see the predator, their behaviour changes. They have to keep moving in order to stay alive. They have to keep moving. They don't settle in one spot. And by creating this ecology of fear lynx keep deer on the move and they keep them afraid and that means there's less time grazing even if they're not actually being chased and hunted.
1: No, that's really interesting and I think that especially with deer that could have really positive effects on ecosystems. So if you had that, the moving of deer so they're not, like you say, taking down everything that allows for things like healthier forest you'd have little shrubs and um, flowers and small plants being able to actually regrow and then you'd have higher plant plant biodiversity which in turn would attract a whole um plethora of insect species and then you've got increase in number of bats we love bats we love that we love uh, these reintroductions <laughs> re- result in bat increases in numbers everything um, should bring
0: back bats i think yeah, it should be amazing <laughs> um and you know, you might think that most of the most of the benefits of bringing a, a large predator back like the lynx would mainly benefit the environment and not the actual people living there. But actually, if we look at case studies around Europe where the lynx has been reintroduced, there is quite a lot of benefits for people living on the land. So sika deer are an invasive deer species that spend a lot of time in um, agricultural plantations uh, and they're very hard to root out. and They're not native. Lynx may, may certainly help to eradicate Sika deer, which are a significant agricultural drain on UK farmers. Um, they may also, this is a little bit of a tenuous link, I admit, but it's worth saying they may reduce the the prevalence of Lyme disease by eating deer and indeed other small animals, which are vectors of Lyme disease. Um, but one of the most interesting benefits that I stumbled across in it, whilst researching this was actually something called mesopredator suppression, so when a large predator is removed from the environment, all the kind of secondary predators, which are called predators, explode in numbers. And that's part of the reason we've got so many foxes at the moment. And foxes obviously take off lambs during the lambing season in a quite a significant number. And they also get chickens and domestic cats and, I don't know, small dogs. Foxes might take small dogs.
1: Yeah, I reckon um, they would.
0: yeah. They might take Stella. <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> <laughs> so if we bring back the lynx, which do, which will kill and eat foxes, both for food and to reduce competition, that means you have less foxes, so less predation on lambs and chickens. And actually, by reducing the predation on lambs, you might have a net balance between the adult sheep that the foxes themselves take. And there's been a very interesting study of this in Spain with the Iberian lynx. And in the areas where the Iberian lynx was reintroduced, the abundance of foxes has declined by 80%, which has corresponded to a 55% reduction in the predation of rabbits and partridges, allowing the rabbit and partridge hunting and farming industry to double in size since the lynx was reintroduced. So there are benefits for people who would live with the lynx.
1: I think that's just, I mean, like you said with the deer as well, it's just, I think, incredible that if you introduce a predator like this, it's not even act of taking the prey and sort of making the kills it's just their presence in the area could have big knock-on effects for miso predators and and deer as well um, yeah it's
0: incredible it's incredible all the kind of the links in the ecosystem it's called a trophic cascade and I like what you did there, links
1: about <laughs> <it>. <laughs> oh I didn't even see that
0: <laughs> I'm a poet and I didn't even know it <laughs> <laughs>
1: And then I think, I guess one other thing to mention in terms of positive impacts is what this could do for something like wildlife tourism. Um, so we've had cases, say, like with the white-tailed seagull up in Scotland, which is now generating, it's generated about £5 um, million pounds annually and created... Ooh, um, that's a lot. Yeah, and created like over a 100 jobs, I think. And that's with an eagle, which is majestic and incredible <laughs> and amazing. But imagine if, if that was a lynx. So we, yeah, we don't have any, big, any cat. big cats. Yeah, I would definitely <laughs> pay to go see a lynx.
0: I would pay. I mean, so you've, you've been to Mull to see these white-tailed sea eagles, haven't you? How, how, what was it like where, you know, in an area where almost the entire economy, well, not the entire economy, where an entire sector of the economy is driven by this one species?
1: I think it's very powerful and you really notice it when you're there. So almost all the, the B&Bs or the hotels outside, they'll have sort of a sign that says, we also run wildlife tours. And so a big market is now, it's for the otters as well, but also the eagles, which were reintroduced. Um, they'll be on posters everywhere where you're driving being like, come see the white-tailed eagle. we do tours, we can take you to the site where you can see them. So yeah, I think it's massively driven um, attraction to somewhere like Mull because of yeah. their being having them brought back.
0: And we know that it can be done and it can be done successfully because we are way behind the rest of Europe when it comes to reintroducing the links. Uh, Switzerland, Slovenia, the Czech Republic and Germany have all reintroduced the links, which is incredible. But Slovenia did it in 1973 and they wow. introduced six and they now have around 140. So we We're are so far way behind. behind the curve. Yeah. And I was reading uh, George Monbiot's excellent book, Feral, which everyone should read if they can. Such it's a good book. <laughs> um, and he points out a really interesting piece of hypocrisy here. Uh, and so he notes that it's often said that Britain is too small or too crowded to reintroduce large carnivores. But this hasn't stopped the Netherlands, for example, which is tiny and now has wolves. And yeah. it's also said that we can't afford it, although this hasn't stopped Romania, Bulgaria and the Ukraine. So there is a little bit, I think, of, oh, this isn't our problem. We're going to, a little bit of maybe cowardice almost. Um, Although
1: something I found quite interesting. So we've mentioned, I think we mentioned Derek Gow before as someone Mm. who's involved in Beavers. So let me just read it because I don't want to misquote him. Um, But it was saying, so he was saying, I don't think, despite the hype, we are ready for Lynx. Oh, interesting. his What he said was there is no evidence that the Lynx Trust has built any bridges with anyone else and a complete climate of, of, of opposition to the organisation's approach to this application um, currently exists. So he says that he's more in favour of introducing something like Wildcats and argues right. that maybe we aren't quite ready for the Lynx right. yet, which, which I found interesting because, like you mentioned, it's been mm. done in other European countries Sort of small size, um, like the. Although
0: it sounds that his criticism might be more to do with the way it's being reintroduced than the species legit- the species suitability for reintroduction itself.
1: Yeah, no, I would yeah. agree. I think in terms of suitability in the UK, we there are areas where it, it could be could be brought yeah. back.
0: And that's and you know, Derek Gow touches on a very very valid point. We need solutions to links livestock conflict before we bring the links in and we need to speak to everyone you need to have focus group meetings with farmers and people in the agricultural industry and people who live in the countryside and they have to be brought on board first and all of these solutions need to be in place before you start bringing the links back if you want it to be successful um and one of there were some sorry go on
1: no just sort of to ask that like what what do you think kind of in terms of solutions to that links livestock conflict what what are some of those that um, well could they be
0: if we accept that every living lynx represents a cost which is borne invariably by the farmer and we need yeah. to accept that as passionate reintroduction people we always, we do need to accept the other side of the argument um so at minimum there needs to be state-funded reimbursement for any sheep taken by a lynx um and that needs to include not just the sheep but also the lambs that sheep may have gone on to have um, yeah. And this reimbursement needs to be quick and efficient. Um, and given the huge subsidies the agricultural industry receives each year from its from the government, I'm sure there is enough money for that. Um, one might go further. The Sweden has quite an interesting thing in place where it gives farmers an annual grant just for having links in the area. And, you know, no matter that's if great. they take the sheep or not. Well, I think that's quite good. Um And there are also some kind of behavioural things. Links are ambush forest predators, so if we keep sheep grazing in open pasture, you reduce the chances of an attack. Um, You can relocate troublesome links to other areas. Uh, And my personal favourite, which I think you will love, Emma, is (laughs) guard llamas. (laughs) Oh my goodness,
1: yes! Can we please get guard llamas? Yeah, so... (laughs) What what is a guard llama?
0: (laughs) Well, it's a llama that guards sheep. So instead of having sheep dogs, you put every, uh, you know, in every sheep flock, you have a guard llama, which doesn't need to be fed because they graze alongside the sheep. They're safer for walkers than guard dogs. And you know how spitty and bitey llamas can be. So it's a guard llama
1: I, I love this idea because this is awesome <laughs> but how would would the lynx not be sort of str- if they were taking on something like sheep which has been done what is stopping them taking on something like a llama
0: sheep are woolly wimps <laughs> it's quite easy for a lynx to take a sheep if it so wished whereas a llama which is you know tall enough to look a person in the eye and quite fierce you know llamas in South America kick off puma when they attack and a puma is twice the weight of a lynx so in the u.s where this has been tested guard llamas have reduced predation on sheep by coyotes by 90 percent really yeah and if oh they my can take goodness. on a coyote i'm sure they can take on a lynx
1: <laughs> oh i have a new favorite uh, god i yeah i love guard llamas now
0: <laughs> yeah i think that's that's what that's one of the best ideas um so, you know, once we've got these systems in place, we should ne- then think, OK, does the habitat exist for the lynx? And excitingly, research suggests that yes, it does.
1: I think, yeah, I've heard a couple of things in the UK where I know natural, I think it was a proposal to Natural England to reintroduce them in the Kiel- Kielder forest. Yes. Um, was somewhere that they were looking at reintroducing them. Um,
0: so as I understand it, there's, there's two main research groups who've who've tried to find you know space for the links the first was david hetherington dr david hetherington who um, is involved in wildcat conservation in scotland he identified the cairngorms national park in scotland and then the Kielder forest and the cairngorms he thinks with you know huge numbers of deer low human populations few roads he estimates that could support up to 400 links
1: wow I I can see why in in kind of that remoteness. And if you have fewer people there, you're obviously going to have fewer conflicts with with livestock, which is a positive as well.
0: Yeah. And one study modelled the dispersal of lynx and found that the biggest threat to them actually was road collisions. And because there's so few roads in the Cairngorms, that's that's, you know, a very attractive place. To release them, the other study which looked at it was by Johnson and Greenwood, and astonishingly, they actually put a number on it. They identified eleven thousand three hundred sixty-nine kilometers squared of suitable habitat. Wow! In the UK, yeah, much more than I thought.
1: That yeah, that's impressive that they can do that.
0: Um... Yeah, but their estimate of how many they could support was lower. It was two hundred and fifty-six.
1: So that yes. was was that also including Cairngorms, or was this mainly kind of Kielder Forest?
0: I think it was mainly in England, whereas
1: right, okay, Hetherington's
0: yeah. study looked across the whole UK. So in England, Johnson and Greenwood identified the Kielder Forest as the largest area, and then also Southeast England and the Thetford Forest. And they did a very cool statistical test to measure extinction probability after a hundred years after root release and they found that the kielder forest southeast england and thetford forest had extinction probabilities of under 10 percent.
1: wow i think that's really good to have that in terms of looking forward not just we re- release them now and deal with the consequences mm. later i think it's quite good having that in place to see okay will they survive here long term i think that's that's really good
0: yeah we have to look forward before we actually introduce the links i think
1: yeah no i definitely agree so um I think we've talked quite a little bit about links. Um, Maybe we should make this wrap wrap it up. Um, Do you want to do the profile thing about sort of feasibility of the links? Sure.
0: So as we did with the beaver, this is the reintroduction feasibility profile of the Eurasian links to the UK. So date extinct in Britain, 5th to 6th century, ecosystem services that we've lost. So that's Mesa predator control, control of deer populations and the creation of healthy forests. Um, Does habitat exist already? Yes. Yeah, I know. Yay. (laughs) Cairngorms, Kiel de Forest, Thetford Forest. Cons to reintroduction. They pose a relatively small threat to sheep. Has any reintroduction take place? No. The licence to reintroduce was actually... Kiel de Forest was denied by the then Environment Minister, Michael Gove, MP. So, the final reintroduction feasibility score. Would you like to guess...
1: I guess wrong last time so I'm gonna say eight
0: I actually also went with nine again okay
1: nine okay so yeah. we can
0: do 8.5 and split the difference
1: <laughs> okay sounds good
0: <laughs> great well thank you very much for listening to our links reintroduction profile with goodbye and by grizzly we may have spoken quite a lot and as ever we overran
1: Uh, yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but thank you for listening and stay tuned for updates you can follow and subscribe to the grizzly youtube channel and then also buy them by grizzly on instagram and then also if you wanted to check us out we are emma hodson wildlife and roby watkinson wildlife so yeah thanks for listening and um we'll see you next time see you next time